of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 304. Jason Lingard is with me, and Austin Walters is back. We're going to talk a little bit about biomagnetism, uh, but in the notes that Austin sent, uh, let's go ahead and use a quote, which, as he stated, is very apropos, and it is. This is supposedly from a man named Voltaire. Doctors are people who prescribe medicine of which they know little to cure diseases of which they know less and human beings of whom they know nothing. Uh, interesting quote to have been ascribed to a man called Voltaire, but uh, I'm a bit burned out still from getting to 300. Jason, how are you doing? Oh, yes. I'm, uh, well, good afternoon, and I'm, I guess I'm great. Yeah, I feel like I've got more balls in there than I can continue to juggle at times. But, well, actually, by the time this comes out, 300.2 will already have run. But do we have anything? I think everything will have been passed by the time this gets out, so let's move forward. All right. Welcome, Austin. All right. Thank you guys for having me. Welcome back. Your dreams are, sorry, I'm not going to quote old cheesy TV shows, but uh, (laughs) how how have you been since last time uh, we spoke? Uh, it's been a long, uh, almost a year since we, we did the episode previously and, uh, a whole lot has happened, a whole lot of lessons learned, new knowledge, um, circumstances have changed, of course, uh, for a lot of people, a little bit of good, a little bit of bad as we always see in life. Um, so I'll be excited to kind of get into some of that today and, uh, we'll push it down the road. Okay, perfect. Just for everyone listening, uh, Austin does not have time to give out an email, uh, for contact uh, because of the situations in the world that he's dealing with. So he will be in uh, crow777radio.com comments under episode 304. And Austin, you do have an active account. Uh, if not, I'll be sure that you do. Do you? I do have an active account, yes. All right. Okay. So let's jump in here. You know, we're going to talk about biomagnetism. And every time I think about it, there are two overarching kind of topics we hit on a lot that are near and dear to my heart. The first one is the sun is electric. The moon is magnetic or the daughter of electricity. There's only one force in the world from my point of view, which is electricity. And the other one would be, uh, cymatics. So what do you think, man? Do you think cymatically at all when, when you're doing your biomagnetism? 110%. Um, in fact, I would say that that has been even further reinforced uh, with a lot of the, the new knowledge that I've acquired over uh, some more advanced biomagnetism training that I've been able to, to attend. And I think that there's an, an extremely, um, well, there's, there's really no difference in, in my opinion. Um, you know, everything is vibrating. Everything is moving at certain speeds, frequencies. All of that, of course, goes under the umbrella of cymatics. And when we are looking um, in this therapy anyway at certain uh, conditions or uh, things that we might encounter with an individual, cymatics is integrally tied into that. So, yes. You know, I always forget the name. Everyone knows you've seen it on clips. There's like a little black magnetic liquid. And I forget what they call it. Every time I see the name, I try to burn it into my memory, but it doesn't stick because truth is there's dirt in my neighborhood that's younger than I am. No, I'm making a joke, but (laughs) it shows you uh, a different view of what happens when a magnet is applied to a thing. And in a way, well, not in a way, directly, that's like 3D cymatics, isn't it? I would completely agree. And I think, Crow, what you're referring to is Newtonian fluid, I believe. Somebody out there may be able to correct me, but yes, that's, 
that's a very good way for us to kind of see how these uh, fields interact on a physical object. Yeah. Right. So anyhow, we'll ju- hey, Jason, you want to, you want to get in here? Do you just want to steer us down the road? All right. So why don't we do a quick review on what biomagnetism is, why it's important and why this is your main practice, why you deal with this? Sure. So biomagnetism, just on the face of it, is essentially using uh, medium intensity magnets of opposite polarities. So in, in our therapy, we would work with the North and the South Pole together in specific and precise points all over the, the body, depending on the issue, in order to um, manipulate or affect a pH change in the body. And why that's important is because the pH is what runs our homeostatic um, value in the body. Um, that is sort of the measurement of. Uh, the general electric value that our body runs at. And so using the magnets is really just supporting the overall function and system and physiology of the human body. So, so I got to jump in here. Um, we've heard so much about the pH idea of, you know, what's neutral. Uh, is it a good rule of thumb that if a, a body is too acidic, that illness will follow? Absolutely. And you could really argue the same point as well for two alkaline, um, although it would be much more difficult to get to the two alkaline state. Um, it's easier to get into the acidic state, um, but you really want to be right in the middle, you know. And that's uh, I love something that has always stuck in my mind, Crow, when I've heard you talk about the middle way is the best way. Um, and I can't remember where you originally heard that, but I think. Um, for purposes of biomagnetism, that rule also applies. You know, we're trying to get to a range of the body runs around 3.3, I'm sorry, 7.35 to 7.45 in terms of pH. So it's right there in the middle of this range that they've, they've set down for us. We want to make sure that you have a little bit of both, you know, there's parts of the body that need to be acidic. You know, we would, for example, talk about like stomach acid. We don't want stomach acid to be alkaline. We need it to be acidic to help digest our food, but we also want certain tissues to be alkaline. So a a mix of both is the best. If you have something that's too acidic, it's very harmful. Something too alkaline, also very harmful. All right. So you brought up an important point and I'll just re-reference the most, probably the most famous idea of the middle way is attributed to the Buddha. It's expressed in a couple different ways, but the way that I like and you've often heard is the idea of a guitar string or an, a musical instrument stringing. Uh, too tight breaks, too slack won't play. Right in the middle there you get music, but to be fair, every single spiritual tradition of age has a version of this. After all, what would moderation be but the middle way? But Jason, I kind of jumped in on you there. You want to keep going? So who would benefit from biomagnetism? And what effectiveness have you found administering it to people who come to you for assistance? I would say that really, especially in this day and age, um, anyone can benefit from this modality. Uh, Even healthy people, a lot of times you don't realize, you know, the types of stress that we're under uh, on a daily, weekly basis. And um, this can just be used to further help support the body. We can dive into those details maybe later on down the road, but we're essentially using the therapy for a lot of times specific issues. Um, So we could say maybe somebody who has uh, fibromyalgia um, or Lyme's disease or malaria to more acute things like I I whacked my knee on the door and now I'm having this lump and pain. Um, we, We could address that acute issue there as well. 
And just to clarify for everybody, um, just so that way there's no confusion, uh, I'm not a doctor. And so anytime we're talking about biomagnetism, we're not trying to uh, diagnose or treat or cure disease that is left to the doctors and their allopathic model. What we're trying to do is encourage the body to do its own healing. It already knows how to do that. And we're just there to sort of help uh, reinforce the body in, uh, in terms of what it's looking for energetically. Would you say biomagnetism was one of the things that kind of got stomped out when the whole allopathic takeover happened in the turn of the 20th century? I would definitely agree with that. In fact, Dr. Isaac Goyes Duran, who uh, he's a he's a medical doctor in Mexico. He's retired now, but in 1988 was when he he first discovered the the biomagnetic pair. So that's traditionally there's a few names for it. We call it biomagnetism or biomagnetic pair therapy in Mexico. They would refer to it as the biomagnetic duos. But after he discovered his first pair, he got really excited. He was actually uh, teaching at a medical university in Mexico. He had a lot of success with patients. And sure enough, when he actually published a paper on it, he got a visit from uh, some officials from the Mexican government uh, who told him, hey, you, uh, you're more than welcome to do whatever you want, but don't ever write about it. You can't teach it. None of that stuff. So if you want to do it in your clinic and you don't want to talk about it, that's your business, but we do not want you to uh, promote it or try to educate people on it. So yeah, I would agree. I think the medical establishment, of course, as we all know here and most of the listeners too, they always try to stamp out things that are uh, cheap, that are accessible to all, that are helpful to the body and don't really have many side effects or, or any side effects because it doesn't really make much money. You know, it's, it's different for me as a person trying to uh, maybe pursue it as a, a career, but I'm not making millions of dollars here, you know, and, and they can't make that in a, in a mass scale. They can't make that amount of money off of it. Well, they, they would also violate their rule of respecting nature, right? Using nature as your tool, but let, let's, let's draw a picture here. There must be some tools or devices or things that are applied in what we're talking about. So let's paint that picture. And also I'll ask, uh, we've done episodes on this with Dr. Lena, and I actually ended up getting one of these devices. Have you heard of the Metathera device? It's like a pad that you lay on and there's a control box that does, I don't know if it could be considered biomagnetism. It is a frequency. Are you familiar with that device? I am familiar with that device. Um, normally those things fall under the category of uh, a pulsed EMF, pulse magnetic field therapy, anything like that, which is also very useful uh, in terms of treating things, or I shouldn't say treat, uh, but to to help support things like uh, you know muscle aches, uh, arthritis, things of that nature. Um, but they've also shown in scientific studies that PEMF at specific frequencies also helps to carry out the function of apoptosis in a in cell death and help reinforce uh, new cell growth, healthy cell growth. So I think there's value there as well. I'll tell you one thing. I had to save my lunch money for quite a while. It's like some of the good <laughs> ju juicers, right? You know, it's, yep. you gotta, you gotta think about it. Then you gotta save, then you gotta break the piggy bank. So what, what are you using to do the methods we're talking about? Draw the pictures so people can have a mental image of what we're talking about. What's it look like? What is it? Absolutely. Um, so typically you would have somebody uh, who would lay on, you know, in this case, we would say a massage table. You could really do it anywhere. You could do it flat on the ground if you needed to. But massage table works best just because you can have a client and have their, their feet sort of hang off of the end of the massage table and then have a bolster to support underneath the knees. 
And at that point, you would be using little magnets. We can use larger magnets. I would say probably the largest that I use is about the size of a half dollar. You don't really need much bigger than that. Um, but I do have uh, different shapes of magnets. Most of them are circular, uh, but I do have a few that are sort of a rectangle shape. But essentially what we would be doing is I could say place a magnet crow over your, uh, over your heart or maybe on the kidney. And then what I'm doing is I would go down to your feet. And what we're actually looking for, the way that we would be um, using this therapy is a physical, a physiological change in the leg length. Uh, now, there are practitioners that also look for changes in the arms, but we just find that the legs are a little more stable so that you can get a more accurate reading. But what's actually occurring there is that when, when you place a magnet onto the, the tissue of a person, what is going on there is it's essentially moving the hydrogen protons around in the body. And as we know, there's lots of hydrogen in the body. That's, that's kind of what is our uh, controls pH in the body. pH, of course, stands for potential hydrogen or the power of hydrogen. So the magnetic field actually has a physical effect on that hydrogen. What that does is it causes the muscles in the body to have a slight contraction if there is a pH differential there. So if, say, you had something going on where I guess the, the, the easiest way I can explain this is let's say that the pH in a scar from surgery you had is a little more acidic than the surrounding tissue. If I place the negative side of a magnet, uh, the, so the North Pole negative, onto that scar, and then I go look at your feet, if there's a, a change in the pH, the muscle is actually physically going to contract the leg. And the best way that I can explain this is that if you hold your hand open, and you say that you're going to close it, but you don't, you're not intending to close the hand. But then if I say, I'm going to close my hand and I close it, a physiological change actually happened. Now, of course, I'm doing that myself. But the point that I'm making is that the physiological things that occur to make that hand close have to do with hydrogen, have to do with neurons and signals flowing down the arm. So we're really just basically manipulating that, those hydrogen protons in order to get a physiological change. And I know that was a mouthful, so I hope I explained that concisely enough. Now we're with you. And so that, that kind of starts to address how used, but is, uh, what's the deal with the magnets? Are they like rare earth magnets? Are they special? Is there electric current to make them stronger? Um, what is it about the magnets or is it any magnet? Really, it's any magnet, as long as you can find a magnet that has a minimum surface gauss. So the actual measurement at the face of the magnet needs to be about 1,200. Um, anything below, say, 1,000, and it really becomes ineffective. So you, you really want to hit that sweet spot, which is why we refer to them as medium intensity. But you can use uh, ferrous magnets. Uh, in, in our case, we use neodymium just because they last much longer and their fields, you can get a, a much more um, potent and concentrated field strength from neodymium magnets. Um, but really, any magnet will work as long as it is the proper strength. So we typically would say anywhere between 1,200 to 1,500 gauss, and you're right in the sweet spot. But nothing electric, no moving parts, um, which is the beauty of this therapy. I could literally carry two magnets in my pocket and I could do it anywhere. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, we did a couple episodes where basically tuning forks uh, were the idea of the modality. And those were extremely popular, popular. And to me, this relates in the same way. But I mean, let's say 
typically on average you're going to do this with someone how many sessions do you think they typically need for any given issue that you might address uh if we're dealing with what i would refer to as just a normal functioning individual maybe they've been under a lot of stress or they've been noticing a slight cough or something like that uh you're probably looking somewhere in the ballpark between two to five sessions just depending on what the issue is but um, you know, once we dive into more complex issues such as fibromyalgia, Lyme's disease, uh, maybe cancer, things of that nature, you're going to be looking at exponential sessions. And again, depending on the response of the individual person, but we could say on average, uh, you know, somebody maybe brings their kid <laughs> in to see you, and you know, they've got a sore throat or whatever it is. Uh, you could probably expect two sessions, maybe three, and, and you're good for probably the next six months. But again, you know, that's, it's individualized and that is the thing that I love about this therapy, but it's also the thing that makes it tricky when you're trying to communicate that to people is that it's not a one size fits all approach. It's very much based on that person and their body and what they need. Well, I'm sitting here reading the next bullet point and I'm guessing Jason read it and thought exactly what I'm thinking. But before I thought that, uh, it occurred to me, how, how come I've never thought of this before? So I'm just going to read the bullet point as we have it verbatim and let you address it, Austin. But here okay. goes. Emotions, the elephant in the room. How our thoughts create physiological responses which lead to negative or positive behavior patterns and in turn cause the constant ebb and flow of hormones in our body. How can biomagnetism affect a change in the realm of emotions. Why is that important? Emotions may actually be stuck in a magnetic field and sometimes pathogens resonate with certain emotions. So I had never really considered the idea of mag magnetism, which has positive and a negative pole, and emotions, which can both be positive <laughs> or negative. So well, emotions, it's the elephant in the room, according to this bullet point. Uh, how does it relate to what we're talking here? So over the past year and, you know, diving more into this uh, particular therapy, and of course, it, this is the big passion for me. So I, you know, I, I tend to want to run with it and always talk about it, but I'm also constantly trying to learn more about it. And once I started taking uh, advanced courses in this therapy, you start to learn that, you know, emotions, I think are A, in, in this country, I don't know about other countries, but definitely in this country. It's almost like we segment emotions as a separate thing that a human experiences and that they are relegated to psychology, psychiatry, or just feeling down or what have you. I think what people tend to forget, though, is that these things that we're experiencing, which we a lot of times can't measure, they're being experienced in the same organism as, this, as a disease that you might have a physical manifestation of. And very important research has been done specifically on emotions. And I'm actually going to pull this up so I can kind of read you a synopsis if I can find it. But um, there was a doctor who wrote a book called The Emotion Code. And you can look that up. It's on Amazon. Uh, doctor's name was Bradley Nelson. But he actually did some work looking into how emotions, how the state of your being actually affects or can physically manifest dis-ease in the body. 
And I think it's very important to remember that a lot of times, you know, you can find people who just they're happy go lucky. They they never really experience or react to certain uh, external stimulus in the way that maybe somebody else would who would take it internally and maybe get very dejected and depressed and kind of live in that emotional state. You find these people that are impervious, I guess, for lack of a better word, they're very well adjusted and they're just happy go lucky. And it seems like those people never really have too many ailments. Throughout the process of me learning this therapy, I always remember this guy I ran into him at a theme park when I was in my early teens. And this, this old cat was in the smoking area. And he, for some reason, he stopped me and he said, hey, young man, you want to sit down and talk to me for a minute? And I said, sure. So I sat down and started talking with this guy. And he starts telling me that he had been smoking cigarettes, which, by the way, I would never encourage for anybody to do. But this the story is very interesting because he had told me that everybody in the theme park would walk by him and cough and wave their face, you know, wave their hand in front of their face like he needs to stop. And he said, you know what? I'm just out here doing my thing and I love life. I eat what I want. I do what I want. And he said, you want to know how old I am? I'm 85 years old and I get out there and I do whatever I want every day. And for some reason, that story has stuck with me over the years because, you know, I think about certain cases where you see people who maybe did what we would classify as all the right things in the world. You know, they eat right, they exercise, they try to meditate, they drink clean water, and then all of a sudden they get uh, heart disease or maybe they develop cancer. And from the outside, you're thinking like, well, why would that happen? But if we start diving into the uh, the emotional aspect of maybe that individual's life, we might actually find that maybe they haven't been able to manage their emotional state so well. Maybe they're very good at hiding that in front of everybody. But once we start diving into it, you find that emotions absolutely play a huge role in disease. And we'll, we'll get into that even further later on down the road. But I think that there's definitely a direct connection because when you experience, uh, say, what the, the world is right now, which would be fear, it causes you to release certain hormones like uh, adrenaline, which is useful in a very short-term experience, but very harmful in a long-term experience. So, you know, if we were running away from the lion, we're only going to experience a surge of adrenaline for a short period of time. And it's very useful. It's a good tool to get us away from the danger. But then after your body is, you know, goes back into that more parasympathetic state where it's a little more relaxed, the adrenaline is not being produced by the body. So we really have to start looking at the fact that emotions are directly tied to uh, health and wellness or illness and disease. And something that I find interesting with biomagnetism, the theory and sort of the, the way that we look at it is that bacteria can actually uh, talk to each other. We refer to it as resonating. And so you have bacteria have uh, sort of a way to communicate with each other. And if anybody wants to go look that up, uh, there's, there should still be a video on YouTube unless, of course, they've scrubbed it. You can just type in, it's a TED Talk. Um, you can type in how bacteria talk to each other and it should pop up. And they kind of dive into the physiological way that that happens. And do they do it by biomagnetism by chance? Nope. This is just a biologist and she's basically just explaining how, how bacteria can release certain uh, hormones or toxins. And then those are um, received by other bacteria and it's sort of their, their language, their way to talk to each other. But in biomagnetism, that's important because we're actually looking for uh, resonance. 
you know, so a lot of times more complex diseases are actually uh, several different combinations of bacteria or parasite, things of that nature. So it's interesting to be able to have that theory in biomagnetism, but then we're actually starting to back that up with being able to do some science on it and see how that process is working physiologically. So before I kick it over to Jason, so we can finish out the emotions idea here, by chance, I find so often in my life that I happen to be studying or reading something that I have no idea is going to come up in one of the episodes we're doing, which is the case here. You touched on a thing that I feel is apex in importance, and it's in the vein of human beings losing track of their connection to nature. People can look up the word egregore. You would spell it egregor, okay? You'll get different ideas, but you've heard me on the show a lot of time ask a simple question. If a million people believe something is true, does it exist in this world? And it has been my point of view that at some level it does in fact exist if a million people are fueling it with their minds. And Austin just touched on the idea of what your emotions are doing. So I'll take it a step further based on some studies I'm doing with Christian mystics, old Christian mystics who seek to tell you the value of numbers from a deeper biblical perspective, as well as uh, more what we would consider occulted ideas that they claim are buried in the Bible. One of those things is exactly what we're talking about here. If a person gets cancer who has lived all their life right, could you start to attribute it to the thinking? And I'm starting to think there is a there there all day long, and I think it can be generational. So the idea here is reflected in what you see on your television every night. Consider when you're watching any given show, how many ads will come up in a given hour talking about cancer and all these drugs. And to top it off, if you were going to try to sell a drug to get someone to use it, would you be likely to verbally out loud tell them all the side effects sometimes, which are much worse than the thing that is being created? And I would ask a simple question. Is this all basing on the idea of what we're talking about? Does this constantly reinforce the idea of cancer? Like there's no escape from it. And by the way, all the drugs you can use to try to save yourself, make you sicker than the cancer itself, these kinds of ideas. Um, And that was one of the things that was backed up in some of the reading, but I kind of lost the thread there, Jason. Well, let's just go with the fact that The mind and emotions have to be powerful because in the mind is the one place where something can be created from nothing. There's got to be power there. That's a fact. Everything that exists in our world was first a thought in somebody's mind, which at the lowest level proves what we're saying. But you and I have done the blue ball trick plenty of times to show that magic exists and other things. Uh, But I'm with you all day long. The idea in the older traditions, which I respect mightily, is that we are co-creators here. And when you get past a point of kind of being herded around like a sheep and buying all the BS that comes at us from every direction in this age, you start to transcend the way you used to think. And what you begin to realize is that there's almost no portion of our existence now where how you think about a thing and what you know is not structurally delivered to you in an unhelpful way. And the shame of it is, is it's an opt-in, right? You can either choose to know more, to grow up, to quit falling for the same tricks, or you can just go along swallowing the fish hook every time. And I think that's exactly what we're getting at here. I would completely agree. And as far as we're still talking on this topic with emotions, I just feel that it's so important um, that people understand that your emotional state is directly tied to um, 
to your, your body's physiology. It's not a separate thing. And I think that we all need to start really paying attention to that and how you allow certain things to influence um, what's going to come into your, your field of thought. If, like you said, mind creates reality, what it's doing is it's causing you to develop thought patterns and behaviors based on those thought patterns, which in turn causes you to go out and physically do a certain action or not do a certain action. And I think in biomagnetism, it's important also to remember or to, to bring up that strep throat or that whatever we're going to talk about, I could name a billion different um, disorders or diseases, but that may actually be triggered or tied directly to an emotional state. Um, it's not always, you know, we have this paradigm where we think that we're going to catch the bug from outside, you know, and I think you guys and myself have also exhausted the germ theory versus terrain theory ideas. Um, but I think it's important for people to remember that you have a lot more control over that than you've previously been taught or given. So true. And, and so, you know, when we're looking at um, these bacteria and parasites and, and we could even say uh, viruses in terms of uh, presence of material being there that allows a, a pH change in the body, you can tie a lot of these things directly to emotions. And so to give you guys like a specific example so that people can kind of wrap their heads around it, if, if I were, say, looking for somebody who had a dry cough and I was looking for that change, I could actually start asking the body questions. And, and we may get into that later on down the road um, where I physically don't even need a magnet to sort of poke and prod to get to the source of the issue. But a lot of times what is underlying the physical manifestation of that dry cough or that runny nose is actually an emotion. And to kind of bring it back home, the bullet point was saying that it's a stuck magnetic field. Well, if we accept the idea that cells carry a positive or negative charge, you can have a group of cells where the pH value has changed and they carry their own specific charge. And so we can kind of now look at that idea of a stuck magnetic field in a more physiological way. And so if you get everybody into a fear state, <laughs> what do you think is going to happen? If you get everybody into a love state, what do you think is going to happen? I don't know about the later, but I'm pretty sure a fear state when everyone gets involved brings you a 2020, right? <laughs> I would say so. And, and I think it's important to remember, though, that, that we as humans, we do have power with, within us uh, to, to make that change for ourselves. And we also have tools available to us that are very useful and can actually do uh, real world things that we can see and touch that can make a huge impact on, on people's lives and the way that they live them. So I just kind of wanted to throw that in there. I got an addition to all of that. Is there any evidence, I guess we could say, of reincarnation or things from past lives transferring to the current life and be something that must be dealt with and worked through in the current life? Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I don't know that I've specifically worked to try and flesh that out in, in terms of biomagnetism, but that comment, Jason, makes me uh, kind of think about sort of the experimental, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but um, outside of the traditional realm of biomagnetism, there's a lot of exploratory ideas, which we'll touch on later. Um, but that would be a really interesting one that you, you might be able to kind of dive deep with uh, when you're asking questions of the body, which we'll get into later. I don't know. That, that's a very interesting, <laughs> interesting idea. Christian mystics are, are all about that. 
They're saying you can inherit from pastimes. They're saying that you have work to do when you're here and you're not graduating class till you do that work. And uh, nobody will do that work for you. It is 100% on you. And if you got to show up to the same class a thousand times, then you will. Uh, that's from the Christian mystics. And not only that, they pair it with scripture. So um, I'm just saying, as a matter of fact, most people are not aware. Uh, reincarnation was part of Christianity very early on, as was meditation, by the way. Um, but Jason, you want to finish out with the emotional ideas here? Well, that's the concept that I'm very interested in because it feels like it's right to me. I get the notion that the physical is just that. It's the physical, that we are so much more than this. We're an energy of sorts, your soul, your spirit, whatever you want to call it. And that this is schoolhouse earth and we keep coming back until you raise your vibration, your frequency, whatever you want to call it, high enough till you no longer have to do that. So it goes without saying that you would have to deal with things that you did in your past in whatever the current life is that you have come into. It's just the way it feels right to me that the universe works. I would say that 98% of all my lifetime of study into different spiritual traditions are saying you come back to you get it right. I'd say a very small percentage, mostly with the Western tradition. As a matter of fact, I was in a Bible study one time and I asked a simple question. If we die and then we're alive in heaven, isn't that akin to reincarnation? And I got kicked out of that Bible study for asking that <laughs> question. I kid you not. And, you know, I won't even get into it, but let's, let's tap out and get through the emotions. Is there some idea in the work of biomagnetism that emotions can be transferred uh, from mother to offspring or fetus? Yes, absolutely, 100%. And in fact, I started to get interested in this theory. I had actually heard a talk by Dr. Jerry Tennant um, where he mentions the same thing through his work and how um, when a mother is pregnant, any of the emotions that she experiences are therefore experienced by the fetus. And that was really the first time I'd kind of thought about that idea. But it makes a whole lot of sense when you think about pretty much everything that the mother is doing during that gestation period is going to be experienced by the fetus in some way, whether it's the food that she eats to the water that she drinks. Why also then not emotions? So I kind of started digging into this idea. And then once I got um, certified in advanced biomagnetism, I then found that it's very commonly accepted in the realm of advanced biomagnetism as well. But what we're looking at is essentially the, the fetus has not developed a, uh, a conscious, uh, conscious mind yet. And so everything that it responds to is through the subconscious mind, which we pretty much accept as the reactionary portion of the brain. Uh, that reacts to things in the moment. And you don't really necessarily have control over that unless you do a lot of meditation work to try and change some of those behaviors. But in essence, what's occurring is that when the mother experiences fear or anger or worry, or there's a whole litany of different emotions that you could go into, unhappiness, being ungrateful, being thankful, any of that stuff is going to be experienced in some way by the fetus. That in turn sort of, for lack of a better word, gets written onto the subconscious of the fetus. And what can then occur is that once the baby develops, it might have these behaviors that are unhelpful. And I think in a lot of ways, this can also help to explain some of what we see when you have a child who may be born with a certain disease that is not uh, genetic. You know, So we could think about children who may be born with uh, cancer. You know, How does that occur? 
let's say that the mother ate extremely healthy, had all the vitamins in the world, you know, the, the most pristine environment that we could give the fetus, but then the baby is born with some type of cancer. Well, what if that mother is prone to fear and worry the entire time that she is uh, pregnant? Well, then that manifestation could be brought on through the fetus. Now, what I find interesting, I actually found an article that um, talks about generational trauma and how it can change the brain circuitry of an unborn baby. And I found this pretty recently, actually, as I was kind of doing some more research for our episode, but they have actually done some digging into this with brain scans and found that babies who are the progeny of someone who has survived some type of trauma, that their amygdala actually changes its physiology in response to some of those hormones. So here we have an actual study done by what we would refer to as allopathic medicine is supporting what I've learned in biomagnetism. So, I mean, there, there's just zero getting around. Everything that we do as a human being is driven by this emotional engine. And people either ignore the fact that they have emotions or they accept the fact and they work on that. But I, I find it just absolutely fascinating that this stuff is really not talked about really at all. Even a lot of times in the natural uh, healing world, it's sort of just uh, put off to the side. And in biomagnetism, it's an integral part of how we do things. Again, like I said, with the strep throat example, I may find that that imbalance is occurring, but then I want to take it further and I would want to ask the body, is there an underlying emotion that is driving this bacteria? And I may get a retraction in the leg, which would in, in our field of work be considered a yes. So I would ask that question. And then at that point, I'm digging even further to find out well, what emotion is being driven, you know, what is adding to that, that bacterial issue. So then I'd have to go down a, a list of emotions to find out what it is. And you'll find that a lot of times when you bring that up to a client, so let's say we'll, we'll do the concise example. I have a client come in they say, Hey, I was diagnosed with strep throat and, you know, I want to do something different. I'm going to give this a shot. And then I, I find out there's an emotion that's resonating with that bacteria. Then I find out, oh, your abandonment was the thing that came up. I mentioned that to the client and then they would say, yeah, actually, you know what? My partner has kind of made me feel abandoned lately. And it's, it's interesting. Once they acknowledge that that emotion is present, it's almost like you release the magnetic field. And now sometimes you have people who who don't want to acknowledge that. And then we would physically want to place magnets in specific areas or pairs in order to clear that magnetic field for the client. Um, but a lot of times just acknowledging and releasing that is enough to, to bring about a physiological change. All right. So I, th I think we covered that pretty well. Did we go through everything on bacteria yet? Or is this next section that you have listed here a continuation of that beyond the uh, bacterial? Yeah, it's kind of a continuation. It's a little more involving. We, we can get into that once we get to the cancer portion because it all kind of ties together. So, are, are we looking to push yeah, the cancer portion into hour two? It's kind of a personal account. Do you want to end up in hour one with that or do you want to um, push it? I mean, we, we can do hour one or two. We, we've been pretty transparent about it. So, okay. I'm, I'm okay with that. Well, you've got something here on chakras and it is beyond me at this point how 
anyone, no matter what their field is, could deny the existence of chakras. There, It is written about to a level that is undeniable, and the length of time it's been written about is undeniable. But yet, I even notice in your notes, you had to use point out that this is not woohoo nonsense. And that goes to show the, the power of allopathy, what they've done here, the one-sided world they've created. Um, but I have a feeling in this age we're entering into, uh, allopathy may not be getting its way for much longer, but let's talk a bit about chakras. Sure. So a lot of people are aware of at least the topic when you mention it. A lot of people don't really know what, what they are. You find it, of course, in circles of people who frequent you know, meditation and yoga and things of that nature. Um, but a lot of times it's not actually talked about in, you know, in a, well, what, what are they actually? And people will throw around, well, they're energy centers in the body and this and that. But from what I've learned and what I personally understand about the human body in relation to magnets and electricity and, and how we're basically just a chemical soup of, of electricity and magnetism kind of ebbing and flowing, chakras fit in perfectly with that. And they make a whole lot of sense when you look at it that way. And they're, they're really just, um, in my mind, they're almost like toroidal fields um, that are sort of in contact with this uh, etheric portion of our existence. Whatever energy that we're bringing in and pulling out, it, it's constantly flowing back and forth. And in biomagnetism, what I find interesting is that the typical model is assumed that there are seven chakras. But according to Dr. Goys, there are actually nine. And he discovered the last two that he claims exist back in the mid-90s. And one of those has to do with the Ricadian bulb, which is um, for everybody listening, if you, if you kind of feel on the back of your head, you'll kind of find a bump. And then if you go right behind that bump, that's kind of your occipital ridge there. Just below that bump would be the Ricadian bulb. And he says that it relates to intuition, which we'll kind of talk about later on. And then the other chakra that he supposedly found is also uh, in the 10th dorsal vertebrae. So it's at the very base of the spine. And what's interesting about that, I don't know how much Dr. Goyes knows about Kundalini or the practices of that, but trying to manipulate or move the energy of those chakras, which are supposedly in the center portion of your body, uh, think of it as a pole going up and down, that you would have one sort of at the head, now not at the very top, but this extra vortex, if you want, and then another one down at the base of the spine. I find that very interesting. Now, I want to tie that into something here in this book that I've got back from the 50s, uh, which ties into Oregon, which we talked about in the first episode we did. But here they're actually talking about a woman who was a prominent president of a substantial corporation. So she's not a doctor or anything like that. But she claimed that she could actually physically see these chakras in people. And she actually, in this book, it details how she was working with doctors on medical diagnoses where she would claim to see a disease or the energy vortex would be incoherent, so to speak. And then what they would do is they would actually have x-rays done for the doctors to verify that what she was saying was correct. And I just wanted to read this quick snippet because I find it very interesting, but it says, and this is from her quote, within the energy body. She observed eight major vortices of force and many smaller vortices. As she describes it, energy moves in and out of these vortices, which look like spiral cones. Seven of these major vortices are directly related to the different glands of the body, 
And then she describes them also being related to any pathology in the physical body in the general area of that vortice. Each major vortex, which she describes as more minutely made up of a number of lesser spiral cones, and then each major vortex differs in the number of those spiral cones. Moving it on down the road, she eventually comes to the same conclusion that Dr. Goyes did, that there are actually nine. And I was kind of blown away that here we have a book that I'm sure he's never read from the 50s talking about the same idea. So to me, it's a no-brainer. It all ties in. It all makes sense. But in biomagnetism, you can actually ask the body if one of those shockers is out of balance. And why it's not woo-woo is because I could actually physically put a magnet over whichever chakra area. And if there's a physical retraction of the leg, then obviously there is a, a change going on. There's some type of energy involvement happening on a physical level. So to me, it's, it's a very easy way to solidify, you know, and a lot of people are seeing as believing type of people. And this is a good way to be able to show people that the things that the ancients have talked about are actually real and they're physical, but they're also spiritual. There's those two components. So not separated from nature, which is where allopathy has brought us. So let's just close out the first hour talking about biomagnetism and geomancy. Um, and then in the second hour, uh, in your immediate family, you've had a cancer diagnosis, which is life-changing to say the least. Uh, we're going to begin to get into that when we come back in hour two. Uh, but let's close out this first hour talking about biomagnetism and geomancy. Sure. So Rose actually was curious about this, so I figured I would address it. And in my bullet point, I said it is not as mysterious as you might think. Um, she was kind of thinking along the lines of, uh, say, like the 33rd parallel and how would biomagnetism be affected and we actually have a list in, in terms of um, placement, because when, when we're placing the magnets, in order to affect a pH change, there's a certain length of time you need to leave the magnets on. And that is directly tied to the Earth's magnetic field, which we sort of talked about in the first episode. But I just kind of wanted to briefly address it so that people who are curious can kind of understand. So the closer that you get to the equator, the less time you need to leave the magnets on a, a person. So for example, if you were on the equator, about four minutes to leave a pair before you rebalance that area. But say for the Arctic Circle, or if we were to go down to Antarctica, you're looking at a longer period of time, maybe 25 to 30 minutes. So we actually have a whole list uh, in biomagnetism. You know, That way, if I'm in a certain area, I could know, hey, if I'm in Germany, it's 22 minutes. If I'm in London, it's actually 20 minutes. That is more efficient for us so that I can know exactly once I place pairs, how long I need to leave them, set a timer, you know, more of the logistical aspect. But that kind of addresses uh, some of those questions, which I get a lot of because, you know, people in Canada are going to have to leave magnets on for a different length of time than say where you are, Crow, or really anybody in the US. It's about a 15 to 18 minute differential. So that's just kind of where that is. How far does this go back? Has the idea that you could do therapy with uh, magnets go back a long, long way, or is this relatively a new thing in our era? I think using it the way that we are using it with both poles is fairly new. And it's been around for 30 plus years. But, you know, like we talked about in the first episode, all the way dating all the way back to the Egyptians and uh, Paracelsus and things of that nature, they were using. A magnetite or a lodestone, but they were only using maybe just one stone. I don't think the idea of using both polarities together uh, really took hold until the 80s. And that was really only discovered because of Dr. Richard Broingmeier 
who was supposedly the head physician at NASA. Uh, to be honest, I've never actually been able to find much on Dr. Broingmeier, and I tend to wonder if there's a purposeful reason why <laughs> you can't find a lot of information on this. But Dr. Goyce had attended a conference where Dr. Broingmeier essentially discussed that when they were sending supposed astronauts to space, we'll just accept that if they were doing high-altitude experiments, they were further away from the magnetic field of Earth. And he started noticing that um, some of the astronauts were having uh, the, the way that they carried their bodies or their gait, and that they were leaning more to one side. And so he, that's when he kind of discovered this leg length discrepancy. And that led him to start postulating the idea that if you're outside of the Earth's magnetic field for too long, it causes a pH change in the physical tissue. So I think the idea of using both poles didn't really take hold until Dr. Goyce kind of put two and two together and said, hey, what happens if I use a positive and a negative? And there's a whole, I mean, we could talk about that for another hour on how he came to find those two pairs. But essentially what happened was he was taking a negative magnet, and I'm sure it took hours, taking a negative magnet and basically had an assistant running it over all parts of someone's body while he stood at the feet. And he would look to see if the foot shortened. And once the foot shortened, oh, there's there's a point. What, what was the it. first pair he discovered? First pair was uh, thymus rectum. He had an HIV patient, which we all, of course, don't fully accept the idea. But I do accept the idea that that patient came in and had some sort of imbalance, um, which you can absolutely have. And so what he did was um, he started running the magnet over the person's body. And once he got to the thymus with a negative portion of the magnet and he saw the leg shorten, he said, okay, well, here's my theory. I've now got to use a positive magnet to find the corresponding resonance, the other portion or end of the circuit, so to speak, where the positive magnet goes to rebalance the area. So basically he runs that the positive magnet over the, the person's body until he got to the rectum. And then once he did that, the leg evened out. And he said, okay, I don't know how long I've got to leave this, so we're just going to leave him on for an hour. Well, once he did that, he let the patient go home. They came back a few days later, and they were feeling just fine. And he said, okay, so that's going to be the quote-unquote first biomagnetic pair. And from then on, what he would do is basically he would have patients who were diagnosed with a specific thing. Then he would run a magnet. <laughs> it's a very lengthy process. <clears throat> you know, We're fortunate that we've had all that legwork done for us. But he would essentially start corresponding certain diseases to these certain uh, points that he would find, if that makes sense. Right. So, I mean, for so basically, it's almost like a treasure hunt with a metal detector, except you've got two metal detectors, right? That's, and so, uh, if I'm hearing you right, even if you had the polarity backwards, you wouldn't make the discovery. But if you happen to hit the pairs right and the way you're describing, and the negative is right and the positive is right, is that leg? length changing immediately or do they each time they check do they have to wait 5 10 it, 15 minutes to see it is immediate in terms of the actual leg change so it, again if i put let's say you had a kidney problem there's an imbalance i put a negative magnet uh, you know underneath you while you're laying down and the change happens immediately i can immediately go down to the legs and there there's usually about a quarter of an inch of retraction that you'll notice in some people it's it's even larger you know, I've how seen you, all the way up to about an inch and a half. How do you do the measurement? So they're laid out. I don't know. They're wearing shorts or something. Are you just visibly seeing that that leg's a little shorter? Or is there like some device you put across to know how to, how does that work? 
Yeah. So I actually have a special pair of shoes with the, uh, the top portion of the feet cut off so that they can fit uh, really any size foot. Um, but you're, you're really kind of gauging the heels and you you've got to be very precise. So once the person gets on the table and their feet are just slightly hanging off the table and they're relaxed, you can go down to the feet and you can pick them up together, you know, so you would put the heels, these shoes, they have flat heels on them so that you get a, a kind of a good baseline. And then you want to be very cautious because it's very easy to misread. If I stood up at an angle, you know, to the right or to the left a little bit, it's going to look like the, the leg is shifting when it's really not. So it takes a lot of diligence. They say in biomagnetism, the easy part is placing the magnets. The hard part is actually measuring the foot to not see a false positive, so to speak. So it takes a lot of practice to be able to get that down. But yeah, in essence, Crow, you're looking at a flat footed shoe, same shoe on each foot. And they're even when they start out, you put a magnet on. And if there's an imbalance, that foot is going to retract about a quarter of an inch to all the way up to two inches, maybe. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very bizarre. E- even now, it's, it's still very fascinating to see it happen. So. so, Jason, I'm getting ready to wrap up. And I'm going to have Austin just describe a little bit about what we're going to get into in hour two uh, with the unfortunate situation of dealing with cancer in your immediate family. And anything you want to add in, Jason, before I wrap up hour one? Uh, I don't know if this is something you want to go over, Austin, but I'd love to learn how to do that, uh, almost like a crash course, maybe at the beginning of hour two for people to try it, to get this balance back in, something that they could do for themselves. I'm assuming the magnets are easy enough to order and obtain, right? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I could kind of throw out or give a pair for everybody to be able to try uh, so that you could sort of poke around and mess around. Are the pairs published in any meaningful way? Not really. Most of the stuff costs a fair amount of money. You know, I've spent a lot of time and money to try and learn this stuff. You can find online sources that offer uh, an online class, so to speak. The difficulty there is that in order to really get experience in this, you really need it hands-on. But just sort of a, like you said, Jason, a crash course, I could kind of give you guys an idea of that. And before we close up, I did want to mention this and I wanted to get it in an hour one. Um, Crow, you know, last time we had talked about with the human body, I think you had asked me about the polarization of the body. You know, was there like a North Pole and a South Pole? And I've been kind of mulling over that over the past year, every now and again, just trying to find some interesting sources. In this very same book that I cited earlier with the woman who could see chakras, they were also talking about people who had researched this phenomenon of certain individuals that claim to be able to see magnetic fields. Anybody that wants to look it up, there was a psychic researcher by the name of Colonel, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, but it's D. Roches, in collaboration with a Dr. Lewis of a hospital, De La Charite, so this is in France. Anyway, he worked with subjects who perceived the emanation from magnets and also the human body when under hypnosis. But here's the interesting thing. They claimed that these people would uh, see under hypnosis, the human body was found to be polarized. The right half was a North Pole and the left half a South Pole. Wow. Well, what's interesting about that to me, though, in biomagnetism, typically what you, uh, what you see is that we're using the black side of the magnet, so North Pole negative, and you typically scan the right half of the body with that negative magnet. That ties exactly into what this book is saying. The right half was a North Pole. Usually when you have pairs on the body, typically the right half of the body you'll have a negative magnet and the left half is the corresponding red, the South pole. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, this is coming full circle. So here's this book talking about exactly what I'm doing today 
there are a few cases. Sometimes you'll have reverse polarity where the pair will be red on the right side instead of black. But I just wanted to mention that. I thought it was fascinating. So gender doesn't play any role like women wouldn't have the opposite polarity as men? No, not at all. In fact, once we get into it, maybe later we'll mention animals and some of that stuff. It tends to have the same trend where usually right side is black, left side is red, except like I said, very few cases. So sometimes right, you'll have so, flip Austin, can you just kind of cliff note what we're going to get into uh, with the cancer issue in your immediate family? Uh, so many people not feeling well in our current era for lots of reasons. And when we touch on things like this, people have a big interest. So as much as you want to lay down, what are we going to be getting into here? So we're going to be diving into cancer specifically and uh, my wife's diagnosis uh, back in August. And it's been very difficult. Uh, it's been a, a very hard journey, a lot of learning. <laughs> I'm not trying to get choked up. But it, it is very frustrating for me, even as a therapist, because I, I do in that way want to be able to fix it, you know, and sometimes there are things that are out of your control, but it has caused me to want to be able to help others who are also struggling with this disease and also to be able to learn as much as I can so that I can help others in the future. We do have, I don't know if you guys want me to uh, divulge or GoFundMe or not, but we do have one set up. Yeah, you should. You should do that in hour one. There, A lot of people yeah. might take an interest in that. Um, go so ahead. We do have a GoFundMe set up. Um, currently, I'm a full-time caregiver due to the circumstance. And so right now, I am not practicing biomagnetism in any meaningful way on anyone. <clears throat> um, so we're currently, full disclosure, living on our life savings trying to get disability to go through so that that can help in some way. But we have had so many gracious and awesome people who have helped us along the way. So we do have a GoFundMe set up. Uh, you can search GoFundMe and look for gifts of hope for Austin and Christy, or you can go to my Instagram page, which is at bone underscore and underscore shadow. So it's at bone and shadow. And the link to our GoFundMe is in my profile there. It's also in the link to my profile on my Facebook. If you want to donate, we would be absolutely blessed by it. And I would appreciate anyone just consider it. If you want to support us in some other way or even just pray for us, uh, we appreciate that as well. And you can always reach out to me through Facebook or Instagram that way. If I don't get back to you immediately, my, my apologies. Usually my time is, <laughs> is taken up right now by the current situation. So I appreciate everyone listening and as well as you, you and Jason Crow. It's, uh, it's very much appreciated. All right. Awesome. Let's make sure that we get a link to your GoFundMe um, or whatever other links you want to put in at the top of the comments when episode 304 goes out. Um, okay. And also, Jason, <clears throat> let's try to help me remember that. That's so many things to keep track of. And we're going to get into this tough situation when we come back in, in hour two. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, this is an aggressive cancer. So things, this is one that has not been shown for like Gerson method to treat. So it's a tough situation. We're going to get into that when we come back. That's hour one of episode 304. When we come back, we're going to get into uh, Austin's wife's cancer. Uh, they got the diagnosis in August, and uh, we hope you'll join us over at crow777radio.com for hour two. That's C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. 
And I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. There it is. Cheers. Is the enemy of knowing.